Would you please join me for a word of prayer? Lord, I thank you for your teaching. I thank you for sending your spirit who is in us and helps us to know you. Lord, I pray for anyone who does not yet have your spirit this morning that you would give that gift. And I pray as the preacher that you'd help me to be clear and to be useful to your church today. I ask this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So Pentecost, this Sunday, is our feast where we're remembering a once-for-all-time event, not a repeatable event. As unique as Jesus' crucifixion, as his resurrection, as his ascension, is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down, and I say it's not repeatable because he has come permanently to dwell in the midst of his people. Not a come and go kind of a thing. He has come, he is present, he is here. The church exists to this day because the Spirit of God is giving it life. Now, I'd like to, um, I'd like to read from the, the catechism, our catechism, uh, what are the particular ministries of the Holy Spirit? Because there's a lot of, that's happening. In fact, I, I think kind of like an hourglass in the Old Testament God was focusing down, focusing down onto one man, Jesus, and then from this moment, from Pentecost out, it's expanding back out to the ends of the earth and to all time. And there's a a really clutch moment right here that we're celebrating today. And what are the particular ministries of the Holy Spirit, asked the catechism? Listen to this fairly broad answer. The Holy Spirit imparts life to every living thing in creation reveals God's word to his people, calls sinners to a new life of faith in the saving and life-giving work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit unites Christians to Jesus, indwelling them, convicting them of sin, giving them spiritual gifts, and bearing spiritual fruit in their lives. That's a lot, and that's just a summary I think of that list, there's some stuff about our doing, the things that we'll do, gifts that we have. Um, There's some stuff about being, our virtues, the, the character, fruit, love, joy, peace, those things. But primarily, there's the knowing. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. He is in our hearts, if you're a Christian, and he is saying, you belong. You are a son or a daughter of God. You are known and loved. He is here with you. And so it's about a relationship. And, and if you'll recall, if you've, if you've looked at our church's uh, vision statement that has um, some icons for the core values, one of the icons has two feet, and it's meant to be footsteps walking, and that we are walking with God in this life, that we have a relationship. And I talk about this often, that it's not about the religion, and we have lots of religion in Anglicanism. It's primarily about the relationship with God. And the Spirit makes that possible. So what I'd like to do as my outline today is I'd like to just look at what happened, why it matters, and then what should we do as a result. So let's just back up for a minute and ask the question of of what happened. So Pentecost is interesting because of God's intentional timing. The Jews have a feast of Pentecost. It's called the Feast of Weeks, and it happens 50 days. I mean, so it's like a seven or eight day long festival. They all travel to Jerusalem for it. So It's not just a one-day thing. If you're going to travel three days, you're going to stay for a week and really celebrate the thing. So it's called the Feast of Weeks, and it happened after the Feast of Passover. And God oftentimes is fulfilling things from the Jewish religion in Christ. And so we have the Passover sacrifice, Christ, on the cross, and then we have our Pentecost. 
But the Feast of Weeks was tied to the, the harvest of wheat. It was a time of uh, thanking God for an ingathering of the, the fruits. And it's not surprising that he fulfills that and superimposes on it Pentecost as Christians understand Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it's fitting because there was already a whole bunch of people in the city. I mean, Jerusalem was full, and they were giving thanks to God for the, the wheat harvest. It's not also surprising that 3,000 people would be added to their number that day. There is another harvest happening where through the proclamation about Jesus, the Spirit was giving new life and faith to people, and they were coming in large numbers. Peter gave a sermon right on the tail end of this experience, and it says 3,000 were added to their number, which is a huge growth from 120 to 3,000. And the whole world was represented there. It says in verse 5 of Acts 2, it says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, at least as far as they knew it. I don't think America was included, but they weren't quite, wasn't, we weren't quite on the radar yet. But the known world in its entirety. And this is, of course, the reading that every reader is afraid of because it's got all these names, right? Well done. Hard, hard to do that. Um, and I think the reason Luke includes all those names is he really wants it to be seen as comprehensive. It's the whole known world. As far up into Europe as Rome Places in Asia Minor, Turkey, out in Mesopotamia, further to the east, all the way down into North Africa. I mean, it hit the major continents, the known world, from every nation under heaven is how he summarizes it in verse 5. This was for all people. Remember that hourglass thing? It was narrowed down to Christ, and then from there out to all people. And it wasn't given just in one language. It was given in all these languages. So what happens on the day is the 120 were told by Jesus to wait. Don't, definitely don't try and do ministry without the Holy Spirit's power. Go wait in the city until you're clothed with power from on high, he said, and then you'll be my witnesses. And he says, not many days from now. And then he ascended, and 10 days later, Pentecost happens. Now, it's it was um, a manifestation of the presence of the Spirit through what it says is the sound like, uh, they, you have to use analogies here, like the sound of a rushing wind. It wasn't actually blowing stuff over, it just sounded like that. And then tongues as of fire, not necessarily fire, but as of look, something that looked like fire came down upon them, and not just on the 11, note you, all 120, male and female, and, and it says that the, the people that were in the city heard the sound. At the sound, they came together. So it wasn't just for the 120. It was somehow big enough and loud enough that everyone went, what's going on over there? And they all went over to see, and then the 120 poured out into the streets in boldness and began to declare the wonders of God. And they were talking about the wonders of God being the death resurrection, ascension of Jesus, all his, his miracles, the fact that God has come among us out of love. They were talking about that. They were describing those things. And people were hearing it in their own languages, all these different places that were represented. This is actually a reversal of Genesis. Uh, in Genesis, the Tower of Babel, where all the people were of one language, and they decided they would make a name for themselves and build a huge tower, and they didn't need God at all, and he confused their languages and stopped the project, and they scattered. Here, they're brought back together in the Spirit, and they're hearing the gospel in every nation, every language, and so the gospel's for the whole world. 
It's interesting, they're all going to go back after this festival to their various places and start describing what happened. So this is, this is what happened. And, and these disciples that were for fear of the Jews, as well as in obedience to Jesus' word, were in the upper room just praying for 10 days. They came out with such boldness. They were really different. They were different. And as you read through the book of Acts, you see how much they were empowered. So the Holy Spirit gave power And it was a fulfillment of what Jesus said. Remember, um, or what John the Baptist said of Jesus. Remember when he was baptizing with water, he said, one comes after me who's mightier than I. I'm baptizing you with water. He's going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. This is it. This is where it happened. Now, I want to point out that it's not typical for a person to be full of the Holy Spirit and accompanied by a sound of wind and fire over their head. Really, I mean, this, that was a unique thing. I'm not saying the Lord can't do that. He typically does not. And so after this, the 3,000 were added, but not with the same signs and wonders. This was a unique event that was happening. So that's what happened. Now, why does it matter? Well, as soon, I mean, the people ask in verse 12, it says, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And then some of the people mocked and said they're drunk. But it wasn't the majority. It was just a few naysayers. So what does Peter do? He, he stands up in boldness, full of the Spirit, and gives the first sermon of Acts. And he takes them back to the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. And he says, this is what God said would happen. I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. The 120, not just the 11, male and female, young, old, rich, poor. There was no distinction here. This is God's presence for all people and for all nations. It's interesting to think about that. That means that Christianity can transcend culture without obliterating it either. You know, by contrast, in Islam, you can read the Quran in English, but a a true Muslim would say that's not actually the Quran. You're reading a commentary on the Quran if you're reading it in another language. You have to read it in Arabic. For, For them, their God speaks Arabic. But you can read the Bible in English, and it is the Word of God. You can read it in Chinese. It's the Word of God. You can read it in Spanish. It's the Word of God. Christianity is able to go into every single culture and yet not obliterate the distinctions of that culture, but redeem it. And so when you see the end of the story in Revelation, all the nations and cultures are gathered around the throne. There's this beautiful diversity perfected in Christ, but not wiped out and made into some kind of other thing but brought to its full, beautiful picture. So why does it matter? Well, one, it's, it's for all people. All people, all ethnicities, both genders, everything. This is, this is a universal thing. And the fire, the symbol of the fire upon them is particularly interesting. Remember, God manifested his presence with fire in the Old Testament. So when he makes the covenant with Abraham, and Abraham cuts the animals and puts them on both sides, and Abraham falls asleep, actually. God causes him to go into a deep sleep, and then a a smoking fire pot of some kind goes between the animals, right? And then when he calls Moses, what was it? It was a bush that was on fire, but not being consumed by the fire. And when he gave the Ten Commandments, the mountain, Mount Sinai, was on fire. The top of it was smoking. There were flames. In fact, it it was so terrifying. They said, Moses, we don't want to go over there. You go up on that mountain, and you tell us what he said. And when he came down, his face was glowing so brightly, he had to put a veil over it because he was scaring all the Israelites. There was this 
fear of God, this terrifying fire. And now that fire has come into the lives of people. And they were not terrified. They were empowered and they were bold. And they had the spirit of God in them. Now, recognize what God was doing. I I keep going back to Ezekiel 36 because this is so clear. To understand what God's plan for salvation is, is that he is going to transform us from the inside out. In, In Ezekiel 36, the prophet says, I will give you a new heart. Because frankly, our heart is dead. It's a stone. It's cold. It is not full of life. It's dead and needs to be made alive. And God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. That's a lowercase s there. God causes you to become spiritually alive. Born again is how he would tell Nicodemus in John 3. I will put within you a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, capital S, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What is God doing? God is making a new people who experience God personally because he lives within them. That's what was happening at Pentecost. The spirit had been active all along from the very beginning of creation. He was among them, but as Jesus said, he will be in you and never to be taken away. The, it's like a down payment on a house, that earnest money. Is the, that's literally the Greek word that's used to describe it, that the Holy Spirit comes upon a person and then comes into that person. So what is God doing? He's making a new people in whom he dwells. Several weeks ago in our study of Peter, we talked about a, being a spiritual house made up of living stones. You and I are the stones of this house, this new temple that God is building. And just like the Old Testament temple, the Spirit of God would come and be there, and the people would come through the mediator of a priest to offer their sacrifices, but there was a separation. At this moment, no more separation. In fact, instead of us going into the presence of God, God has come into us and dwells in you. So we would say, Jesus in my heart, Jesus lives in my heart. It's by his Spirit that he does that. And I want to note in verse 21 of um, chapter 2, he, uh, Peter's quoting Joel, and he comes down and he says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is salvation, to have your spirit made alive, to have restored fellowship with God, and to have him writing his laws on your heart and helping you to walk in his ways. That's what salvation is. And then it's so interesting to read. We didn't, we didn't keep reading all of Acts chapter 2, but Peter's sermon is not about the Spirit. This thing happens, and it's the Spirit doing something, and then when he starts talking, he talks about Jesus. Because part of the Spirit's ministry is to point people to Jesus, not to point people to the Spirit. He's happy to have you not pay attention to him if you're paying attention to Jesus. He points people to Jesus. So now, What can we do? Well, after Peter finishes this lengthy sermon he gives, it says they were cut to the heart, and they say, what what should we do? And the answer is repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says that they they did. And with many words he exhorted them, 3,000 people did this and were full of the Spirit. And then they describe this incredible fellowship that happens among the believers, where they're devoted to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and the prayers and the fellowship. And there, there's this, this community that is living in a harmony that's ideal because they're all full of the Spirit and they're excited about what's going on. Now, I need to make a distinction here because 
the church is confused about the term baptism of the Holy Spirit. Certain denominations have talked about this as if it's a second kind of thing as opposed to a primary thing. And when, when a person becomes a believer, the Spirit of God goes into your heart. In fact, you can't be a believer without that. But what, where the distinction happens is it's possible to have the Spirit and not be full of Him. And so in Acts, there are times where the Spirit fills somebody afresh. The, the apostles kept going back to Jesus, and then the Spirit of God was filling them for specific ministries or to be bold in a moment. And it says, Peter, full of the Spirit, stood up and did whatever. There's a bunch of places where this happens. So it's quite possible for you to be a born-again Christian in whom the Spirit of God dwells, and you are completely empty. You are not full of the Spirit. That's part of the reason of the confusion. You look around the church, you look at what happens here, and you think, wow, there's a difference. There's a lot of people that aren't manifesting this kind of power. Why? So let's talk about what can we do? Well, I want to I mention something that Jesus said in John chapter 7. This was at a different feast. It was the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths where they slept in tents around Jerusalem and they remembered the time when they were wandering as Israelites in the wilderness and God was leading them and they had to keep setting up the tabernacle and they had this, um, remember, they had, God had to provide water from a rock and struck the rock and the water came out into the, into the desert. Part of that ceremony is they get, the priest would get a golden pitcher and they would all process down to the pool of Siloam, which is on the south end of Jerusalem, and they'd scoop up water and they'd bring it back up and he would stand next to the altar and he'd pour it out in a very symbolic fashion to remember God provided water. And it says that on the last day of the feast, this is John seven thirty-seven. on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now note, there were people by this point in his ministry that were already trying to kill him. And his siblings said, you want to be a public person, you should go up to this feast. And he said, no, you can go up anytime. I'm not going to this feast. And then he went up secretly without anyone knowing, and he kind of watched from the crowd. And then on the last day, he was so overwhelmed, I think, with this ceremony, and he wanted the people to see that it was fulfilled in him. The water from the rock was actually about Christ. And so he says, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. And then he goes on, he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. His glory was on the cross, resurrection, and ascension, and now the spirit is given at Pentecost. And so the point is, we have to keep coming to him for being filled. Just like you drink water, and it satisfies for a little bit, and then you get thirsty again. You have to keep going back to it. Much like H2O in our lives, so, so it is with the Spirit. We have to keep going back to be filled. And I want to point out that the church in Corinth, which drove Paul crazy, had all kinds of spiritual gifts. They were full of the charismata. I mean, praying in tongues, um, words of knowledge, prophecies, yeah, I suspect even healings, but they lacked the virtues. They did not have the character. They, were, they had the Spirit in them, but they were not full of the Spirit. They were, they were not being 
They weren't thirsty and being full of the Spirit regularly. So it's not so much about those manifestations as it is about Christ-likeness and that relationship. Remember, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And much like a human relationship can be neglected and grow cold and distant, the same is true of your relationship with God. Even though the Spirit of God dwells in you. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is in you. But you can neglect Him, you can ignore that, you can choose to get drinks of things that aren't water, you can look to this life to meet your needs and whatever it might be. Let me go to one last text, and I'm going to close with this text. This is um, the Apostle Paul writing in Ephesians. And he says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. A command, be filled, but it's in the passive. Not fill yourself, be filled. Well, how does that work? If God gives his spirit, but I'm being commanded to do it, I have to go to him. I have to ask him, give me more, Lord. I need, I need, I need to get closer to you today. I need your help with this. I need help in doing the things I'm supposed to do. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Addressing one another. This is about fellowship. This is about our relationship with other people. That's one of the things that when you're filled with the Spirit happens. You have harmony with others. It's not we're living in a musical where we're singing our sentences to each other like some kind of a play. No, it's, I mean, it, these are, it's the song of our heart. It's about faith, but it's about it happening in fellowship. So fellowship is a first mark when you're full of the Holy Spirit. Another thing is, it says, it does say singing and making melody to the Lord. So I do think what we're doing in here matters. Corporate worship is a part of being full of the Spirit. You want to sing God's praises. It's about His beauty and His glory as we just actually sang. And then it says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you thankful? Always, in all things, being thankful to God. And then finally, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. A mutual submission. This is what happens when you're full of the Spirit. Fellowship, worship, gratitude, mutual submission to people. And there's other places in here that has a list of what it looks like when you're living according to the flesh. And so we have to be told, don't live according to the flesh, live according to the Spirit. Be thirsty for God and refuse to be satisfied with anything else. Come to Him because This is about a relationship. It's about the Spirit of God in you, reminding you that you belong to Him and that He is with you. This is the greatest relationship we could ever have. So pray for more. Ask, seek, knock, as Jesus says, and it will be given. So would you pray with me? Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday, we ask that you would fill us afresh. Lord, would you show us the barren places in our lives, those places where we're going for drinks that are not you, ways that we try to meet our need apart from you. Lord, bring us back to you quickly. Would you fill us this morning as we come to your table? Help us to walk in these ways. I pray it in the name of Jesus.